Well, good morning, everyone. This morning we want to start a new series entitled Onward. And the whole idea of Onward is, what is it going to take for us to move forward in our Christian faith? So often the question is asked uh, and even commented that, uh, you know, I'm stuck in my faith. I'm stuck in the progress of my faith. How can I cause my faith to get unstuck and keep moving forward? And so this next six weeks, we're going to take a look at six ingredients within the Christian life that's going to help you move forward. You remember that about a month ago, I mentioned to you that when you became a Christian, 32 things happened to you. I've selected six of those that I consider to be the ones that move you forward quickly. And we're going to take a look at that. And today, we're going to talk about the whole subject of faith. Maybe you heard the story not too long ago about a little old lady who would come out every morning on the steps of the front porch raise her arms to the sky and shout, Praise the Lord! One day, an atheist moved into the house next door. Over time, he became irritated at the little old lady. So every morning, he would step out into his front porch and yell after her, There is no God! Time passed with the two of them carrying on this way every day. The little old lady would come out, yell, Praise the Lord! The atheist would come out on his porch and say, There is no God! Then one morning in the middle of winter, the little old lady stepped on the front porch and shouted, Praise the Lord! Lord, I have no food and I'm starving. Please provide for me. The next morning, she stepped out on her porch and there were two huge bags of groceries sitting there. Praise the Lord, she cried out. He has provided groceries for me. Just then, the atheist jumped out from behind the bush and said, There is no God. I, brought those, I bought those groceries for you. The little old lady threw her arms in the air and shouted, Praise the Lord! He has provided me with groceries, and he made the devil pay for them. Well, that's kind of the, the point that uh, we get at when we talk about faith. Sometimes ago, I was asked many questions about the faith, but a couple of questions that really hit me hard was, Is faith enough? What is true biblical faith? Is there a false faith that many Christians think is faith? Well, to those questions we now turn. You remember that some years ago, there was a TV show, in fact, two TV shows that featured doctors. One was Ben Casey, the other was Marcus Welby. And Marcus Welby would always come out with this tough diagnosis of a case that he was trying to solve. But Consuelo, his, uh, his nurse, would always come up and say, are you sure, Dr. Welby? And then in typical Hollywood fashion, we would cut to commercial, and you'd have to wait at least five minutes to find out if Dr. Welby was sure. And this morning, many of you might be sitting there asking, Dr. G, are you sure? Is faith enough? Is faith all that's really necessary? Well, the Holy Spirit wrote to Paul and to each of us when he said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. You know, I think the recommendation is certainly not out of order. At the very inception of this series, I think we need to ask that question. But first of all, we must remind ourselves that in Hebrews eleven six it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. The one thing that pleases God is true biblical faith. And moreover, this is all important. True faith must be based solely upon scriptural facts. For Romans ten seventeen says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Unless our faith is established upon facts, it is no more, con more than conjecture, superstition, speculation, or presumption. And Hebrews 11, 1 leaves no question about this. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith, standing on the fact of the Word of God, substantiates and gives evidence of things not seen. And everyone knows that evidence must be founded upon facts. All of us started on this principle when we were born again. Our faith and our belief stood directly upon the eternal fact of the redeeming death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the faith by which we began, and it is the same faith by which we are able to stand. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, we stand upon this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, we walk in this. And in Galatians 2, 20, it says, we live in this. And so Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, as you have therefore received Christ, so walk ye in him. Well, this all is great because in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, or the Hall of Fame in Scripture, we start off with the story of Noah. Let me kind of do a little flyover for you here what's happening. Some scholars think that it took anywhere from 60 to 120 years to build the ark. That's a long time to build an ark. And I would think that the neighborhood would grow very suspicious, at least after year 50. And they would ask Noah, Noah, why is it that you're building this ark? And he would say, because the judgment of God is coming, and it's going to get very wet. What do you mean it's going to get wet? Well, it's going to rain. Well, they would ask, what is rain? You see, at that time in the world, there had never been rain. Because the, the, the world was like in, a, in, a, like in a, a hothouse. It was in a perfect climate. It wasn't until after Noah's time that volcanoes began to erupt and blow holes in the ionosphere. And radiation became to come into the world and begin to half-life everything. In fact, if you check the ages of Noah and some of the patriarchs up to that point, they were, they were living 600, 700 years. Then at half-life from that, down to 350, and then to 175, and now we're in around 80 years ourselves. And so the, the world was covered in a kind of a hothouse. They had never seen rain. Yet Noah believed in the substance of things hoped for, which was the salvation of God, and he was being warned about things he had never seen, rain. And one day that rain began to fall, and those that got on the ark were saved. Another way of saying this would be this way. Since true faith is anchored upon scriptural facts, we are certainly not to be influenced by impressions. You know, I, I think that sometimes we do get impressions in our life, and, and we think that that might be the prompting of God. And I'm not saying that we can't be prompted by God, and that God can impress upon our heart in many ways what he thinks is important to us. But any impression by God, any prompting of God, will always have a scriptural basis for it. There will also be facts in scripture that demonstrate that. George Mueller, the famous missionary, said, impressions have neither one thing nor the other to do with faith. Faith has to do with the word of God. It is not impressions, strong or weak, which will make the difference. We have to do with the written word and not of ourselves or of impressions. There have been times where I have worked with people. In fact, I had not too long ago a fellow sit down in my office and said, I think God is prompting me to leave my wife. Really? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Let's see if your impression squares with the Word of God. And after about an hour of going through Scripture, he said, well, where is this prompting coming from? I told him, I said, well, there's a war going on, a spiritual war. And Satan does prompting too. Ruth Graham was once asked about her marriage to, to Billy Graham. And she said, Ruth, have you ever thought about divorce? She said, never. 
Then very coyly she said, murder a couple of times, but never, never divorce. Well, the promptings of God are always based by spiritual, by spiritual facts and by, by, by uh, the, the facts that are in God's word and not in any place else. And then, too, faith is not, not necessarily about impressions. It's not about probabilities either. Uh, because probabilities are big temptations when it comes to exercising faith. Too often, it doesn't seem probable that he will ever be saved, we say. Or, or she'll never come to Christ. Or we might say to ourselves, you know, the way things are going, I wonder if the Lord actually even loves me. Mueller again writes, Many people are willing to believe regarding those things that seem probable to them. Faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The providence of faith begins where probabilities cease, and even where sight and sense fail. Appearances are not to be taken into account. The question is whether God has spoken in his word. Maybe you heard the story about two guys in a small plane crash that landed in the ocean, and they are able to swim to a desert island. One of the fellows is a very emotional person, and he just goes ballistic when he finds out there's no food or no water. We're doomed, he cries. The other fellow, however, is just lying in the sand, fully confident that somebody's going to find him. Finally, the fellow who's so nervous turns to him and he says, how can you be so calm? And the other fellow who's laying on the beach, kind of soaking up rays, says, because I make over a million dollars a year and I tithe 20%. The other fellow says, well, what's that got to do with anything? He says, well, don't worry. My pastor will find us. <laughs> you know, one of the things is the will of God is not based on probabilities. In fact, Mueller uh, often uh, came to a point where he said, it's not an odds game. It's not what are the best odds for me in this situation. No, faith goes beyond impressions and probabilities. What faith actually is is what Alexander Hayes said. Faith must be based upon certainty. There must be a definite knowledge of God's purpose and will. Without that, there can be no true faith. For faith is not a force that we exercise or a striving to believe that something shall be, thinking that if we can believe hard enough, it'll come to pass. No, that may be positive thinking, but it's not biblical faith. Evan Hopkins supports that by saying that faith needs facts to rest upon. Presumption can't take fancy instead of fact. God in his word reveals to us the facts with which faith has to deal. It's based upon that that, you know, theologian J.B. Stoney said, real faith is always increased by opposition, while false confidence is damaged and discouraged by it. Here can be no steadfastness apart from the immovable facts. In fact, Peter writes, and it was his burden, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that, that can perish, though it, even though it's tried by fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Well, then there is both biblical faith and worldly faith. And worldly faith is characterized by assumptions, presumption, probabilities, promptings, nudgings that really have not based in fact. Where biblical faith is acting upon those promises which God has said in certainty. And once we begin to reckon or count on, count on these facts our Father begins to build up us, in us faith from which profoundly we understand it's just simple trust in God. Mueller again was able to say that God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought instead of wanting no trials before victory, 
no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. And then on that same subject, theologian James McConkie wrote that faith is dependence upon God. And this God-dependence only begins when self-dependence ends. And self-dependence only comes to its end with some of us when sorrow, suffering, affliction, broken plans, and hopes bring us to that place of self-helplessness and defeat. And only then do we find that we have learned the lesson of faith. To find our tiny craft of life, rushing onward to a blessed victory of life and power, and service undreamt of in the days of our fleshly strength and self-reliance. He continues by saying, It is a great thing to learn faith. That is, simple dependence upon God. It will comfort you much to be assured that the Lord is teaching you dependence upon himself. And it is the very remarkable that faith is necessary in everything. That's why Luther said, The just shall live by faith. Not only in your circumstances, but in everything. You know, I believe that the Lord allows many things to happen on purpose to make us feel our need for him. The more you find him in your sorrows or wants, the more you will be attached to him and drawn away from this place where the sorrows are in order to go to him in the place where he is. That's why Colossians in the book in chapter 3 verse 2 says, set your affections on things above. Actually, we cannot trust anyone further than we know them. So we must not only learn the facts involved, but ever more intimately come to know the one who presents and upholds them. When I was growing up, I lived in Minnesota. Ice fishing was the thing of the day. And it was so thick, the ice got so thick on the water, you could actually drive your RV out in the middle and ice fish from the RV. A friend of mine had a friend from Alabama come up, and he had never seen snow, let alone ice. I remember when he said the first day he came out to the lake, he just put one foot on the lake. He wouldn't go out. Then he put two, and he was only maybe three feet from shore. Every day this continued in the month that he was up there. By the fourth week, he was actually walking out on the ice. And on the last day, he finally tried some ice fishing. It took him a month to get to the middle of the lake. Why? My friend concluded, my friend did not know the properties of ice and therefore didn't trust it. My friend this morning, do you know the properties of Christ? Do you know his character? Do you know that he wrote in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent? Do you know that today? Do you know that he said that grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God? Grace and peace don't come through some worldly wisdom. Grace and peace don't come through some knowledge of what you read in Cosmopolitan. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature. You know, Thomas Paine was a great agnostic. He was not a believer in Christ, yet his one quote stuns me when he says that infidelity does not consist in believing or in disbelieving. Infidelity consists in professing to believe something you do not believe. That is the tragic thing of many churches today. We have a lot of unbelieving believers. 
because they just don't know the properties of Christ. They just don't trust the ice. You know, I think we're all captured by that prayer that comes to my mind that is one of those kind of comical prayers where the guy is praying, Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't lied, I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. But a few min- in a, just a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. Amen. Well, we laugh at something like that. But the, ra- the reality of it is, is that do we have the faith to combat the day? Well, if we're resting in God's promises, and we're counting on them to have the substance of things hoped for, and even the conviction of things not yet seen, that is true biblical faith. You may be saying this morning, well, Dr. G, can you give me one example? Well, most of you in this room, I would assume, are planning on the second coming of Jesus Christ. You're planning on that as one of the precious promises of your faith. Yet if I asked you today, has anyone here ever met physically the person of Jesus Christ? You would have to say no. You never have. But you're having the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. Romans 3.22 says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Six verses later he says, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So, like Dr. Welby and Consuelo saying, are you sure? The Bible says yes. Faith is enough. But not worldly faith, not mediocre faith, but biblical faith. Faith in the promises of God. Does God nudge and prompt? Yes. But will he always back it up with his word? Absolutely. And so today, I want to challenge you to understand who Christ is. Did you look at your worship folder today? Did you know that there are eight Bible studies starting in this next couple of weeks here at Dillon Community Church? Won't you jump in one? Get to know the properties and character of Christ. Deepen your biblical faith and trust in him. I trust that you will. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity just to get into your word and to find out that real true biblical faith is always based upon something that is backed up and activated in scripture. It is not something that we think that might come to pass. It is not some emotional urging It is not some probability that it will probably happen, but it's based upon certainty, and it's based upon facts. May we get to know you better, and may you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.